Our passage this morning comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. If you can turn there, and then once you found that passage in your Bible, if you are able, would you stand please for the reading of God's Word? Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome, Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. But take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God. God. One more time, one more time. This is the word of God. God. And you may be seated. From this passage this morning, I'll preach from the title, Loving Solidarity. Loving Solidarity. One of the books that I am, uh, that is currently in my stack that I'm slowly reading through is a collection of uh, Dr. King's sermons. And as I've slowly been reading this book, one of the things I've thought about this book is this. If Dr. King were alive today saying the same things that he said back then... I think he would make everybody mad. Everybody. Now, I'm guessing that most of us here assume a certain kind of person who would bristle under Dr. King's prophetic rhetoric. His denunciation, for example, of the giant triplets of racism, extreme materialism, and militarism would certainly provoke backlash from many today. But there are things that King said that I think that many of us in this room or online would make us squirm as well. For example, King says, an element of goodness may be found even in our worst enemy. Or another example, we must not seek to defeat or humiliate the enemy, but to win his friendship and understanding. At least it makes me squirm. Well, if if Dr. King makes us uncomfortable, uh, wait till you read some of the things that Jesus said. 
Actually, some biblical scholars think that the verses that we just read from the Apostle Paul reflect his paraphrase of some of Jesus' difficult teachings about how Christians are to love. Bless those who persecute you. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Never avenge yourselves. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. With this collection of imperatives, of commands, Paul showed the Roman Christians his understanding of genuine love. Our theme for this year as a church is together. This word, especially as we approach the two-year mark of the pandemic in Chicago, reminds us of the simple truth that followers of Jesus do life together. Our identity is rooted in our corporate communion with Christ. But what these particular verses show us is that our togetherness is not just for us. How we love one another has implications for how we love a troubled and troubling world. Yes, how we nurture our life together is important for our personal well-being. But our life together is also much bigger than our personal well-being. It is how we participate in God's redemption in a sinful world racked by evil. So here's what we are lifting up this morning. Christians overcome evil with solidarity. We overcome evil with solidarity. Now, I'm going to need you to stick with me for the next few minutes because solidarity is one of those words like community or like togetherness, which can be interpreted in a bunch of different ways. But the solidarity that we find in these verses is a very specific kind of togetherness, a particular kind of community. This evil overcoming solidarity does three things. First, it identifies evil. Second, it surrenders to God's love. And third, it blurs the boundaries. This evil overcoming solidarity identifies evil, surrenders to God's love, and blurs the boundaries. So let's take the first one. We overcome evil with a solidarity which identifies evil. There can be a tendency in some communities, in some families, to downplay those things that are wrong in the world, to sweep things under the rug. Uh, a few days ago, Winston and I went to the dentist, and, and he had a, a dentist appointment, and he did great. I don't particularly love the dentist, and, and he did a great job. And at one point, the dentist was doing some things in his mouth, and Winston was squirming just a little bit because it's never comfortable being at the dentist, having someone poke things into your mouth. And the dentist said to, to, to Winston, y you're okay. And, and, and I heard that, and I thought, that's the sort of thing we say to kids a lot, isn't it? When a kid is maybe uncomfortable or in pain or going through something difficult, we say, you're, you're okay. The tendency is not to pause and to, to really listen and to pay attention to what that child is experiencing and what might be uncomfortable, what might be wrong, what might be painful. It's to 
to try to keep them moving. You're okay. I think that that thing that we do with children is actually pervasive in a lot of places in our society where we gloss over what is wrong, where we don't really call clearly out the evil that is around us. This is a very damaging tendency, would you agree? To, 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 to call evil good or to not fully acknowledge the harm that has been done. This is a form of gaslighting. I've had too many conversations with, uh, with, with women who have had experiences in churches over the years where they've experienced some kind of sexism, some kind of harm, only to find that harm diminished only to, to, to find it downplayed in some kind of way. I've had too many conversations with friends of color who've worshipped in majority white churches who've, who've had very similar experiences where an instant of a microaggression or, or a racist encounter is explained away, oh, he didn't really mean that. That wasn't my intention. You're okay. And so it's worth us asking, is that what's happening in our passage here? Is this what Paul is doing? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Do not repay anyone for evil. Never avenge yourself. Is this the the Apostle Paul's way of just saying, you're okay? And I would suggest to us that it's absolutely not for the way that our passage begins and ends. You see, Christians never downplay evil. We are meant to identify it clearly and precisely. And so the Apostle Paul begins in verse 9, hate what is evil. Not tolerate, not push through, but to hate what is evil. And then he ends our passage in verse 21, overcome evil with good. We are meant to identify evil clearly. And so for, for anyone here this morning who has been on the receiving end of somebody denying or downplaying the harm that you have experienced, please know very clearly that that person or those people were not representing the heart of God. Amen? Jesus will never gaslight you. Instead, Christians are to hate what is evil. This means we are to name what is evil. We are to be precise about what goes against the heart of God whether that is out there in our world or whether that is an evil that has corrupted our own hearts that must be confessed. And then, jumping to the end of our passage, we are meant to overcome evil. And the word here for overcome could also be translated as conquer. So again, this is not go around. This is not make it through. This is, this is an image of evil being defeated. Amen? That is the Christian posture toward evil, and we need to be super clear about that. Friends, we need one another to know the evil that we are to hate, because you and I are prone to accustoming ourselves to evil. We, we are prone to calling evil good. We are prone to saying that's just the way things are, or that wasn't so bad, or that's just how it was in my family. And so we need sisters and brothers who who we let into our lives who can say to us, no, in fact, that was evil. What you are experiencing is evil. It goes against the heart of God. 
You and I need each other. We need that kind of solidarity to, with precision, know the evil we are called to hate, as well as being able to overcome that evil with good. You can't do that by yourself. I can't do that by myself. The solidarity which overcomes evil directly identifies that evil. Second, we overcome evil with a solidarity which surrenders to God's love. The way that our world works is that when somebody persecutes you, you curse them. When somebody does you wrong, you repay them. When somebody attacks, you avenge yourself. These are the rules of our society. It's what everybody expects. And all you have to do is see one instance of road rage in this city to get a real clear idea of what that looks like. I know some of you are like, (laughs) Jesus offers us another way. You see, to hate and to overcome evil, we cannot play by the rules dictated by evil. Instead, like Jesus, we are meant to surrender to God's love. You see, when, when you fight evil with evil, you are saying that evil is the most powerful tool at your disposal. But when we respond to evil with the love of God... We are proclaiming that the love of God is more powerful than than anything the evil one can muster. Does that make sense? Again, let's be super clear. This is not a call to a kind of escapism. This is not a call to ignore what is wrong in our world. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that, that choosing the way of love oftentimes will be like heaping burning coals on your enemies' heads. So this is not a kind of quietistic escapism, putting our heads in the sand. Instead, when we surrender to the love of God, we are saying a few different things. We are saying that evil cannot have me. We are saying that God will avenge me. And we are saying that Christ's love sustains me. So I wonder if some of us this week might make that our prayer, our meditation. Because some of you, some of you are facing great evil in your life right now. And maybe you haven't quite called it that. But some of you are facing situations of profound brokenness, wickedness, slander, Some of you are are having to exist in, in malicious environments five days a week when you go to work. So I wonder if if as you are confronted by these situations, by these circumstances, by these people, if you might make this your prayer, evil cannot have me. God will avenge me. The love of Christ sustains me. Evil cannot have you. God will avenge you. 
and the love of Christ even now is sustaining you. The solidarity which overcomes evil surrenders to God's love. And then finally, finally, we overcome evil in this world with a solidarity which blurs the boundaries. As you're reading this passage, you you might wonder, who is Paul directing the Christians to give this loving solidarity to? Is it it to other Christians? Is it to those within the family of faith? Or is it to, to outsiders, those outside the family of faith? Three times Paul talks about loving one another, so that's clearly the sisters and brothers within the church. But then he also talks about those who are persecuting you, and so we can rightly assume that that's the, those are outsiders. In verse 13, we see how Paul actually holds both of these together. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints. That's the sisters and brothers within the church. And then extend hospitality to strangers. Strangers would be those outside the church. This solidarity is for saints and strangers alike. The word hospitality here could be translated as the love for strangers. The the boundaries within the, the family of God get real blurry between who's in and who's out. Who's a part of this and who's not a part of this? Those boundaries and and who gets to keep those boundaries get real messy and and real blurred. Paul Paul shows that this solidarity is is meant to cross those boundaries. In in our family, we we are an an adoptive family, and so so our experience of family is kind of messy, and we've got extra sets of grandparents, and we've got you know, uh, uh, birth mothers and, and, and the, the loved ones that they're attached to. And so when we have family over, it's, you know, it's not exactly clear, but everybody's family. Some of you grew up in families where you had play cousins and, 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 and you're, you're, you're introducing friends to, to a family member and they say, oh, is this the brother that you've told me about? You're like, yeah, that's my brother. Well, he's not really my brother. But yeah, he's my brother. He's my bro-. Some of you know what I, that, that experience, right? That's the the, the beautiful messiness of the blurred boundaries of of family. And I believe that that's the image that Paul is holding up here for our loving solidarity. Who is it for? Yes, everybody. Saints and strangers alike. And in verse 15, we get a beautiful little snapshot of this kind of solidarity. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And this solidarity is motivated by love. That's how our passage begins. Let love, the word there is agape, be genuine. Now, Dr. King writes about agape in a sermon called Loving Your Enemies. He says, the meaning of love is not to be confused with some sentimental outpouring. In overflowing love that seeks nothing in return, agape is the love of God operating in the human heart. That's the kind of love which animates our solidarity. So let me attempt a definition of solidarity for us. Solidarity is love which motivates you to join in someone's joy or sorrow. Christian solidarity is love which motivates you to join in someone's joy or sorrow. Now, this means that we have to know 
who's rejoicing and who's weeping. We can't show this sort of loving solidarity if we don't know who's weeping and who's rejoicing. And this obviously comes more naturally within a community. You look around the room. Some of you know a lot of other people in this room. Some of you are new and are just getting to know other people in this room. But that kind of solidarity comes more natural when you are around folks regularly, when you're getting to know them, when you're in a small group at Bible study together. In fact, I I would say that, that this kind of solidarity is a critical characteristic of a healthy church community where we just know one another enough to know if somebody's rejoicing or somebody's weeping. Like, if everything has to go through the pastor, that's a problem. If the only way you find out who's rejoicing and who's weeping is by reading the church newsletter, that's a problem. You you, you get what I'm saying? A healthy Christian community is going to be one where you just are so embedded in it that you naturally know who's rejoicing and who's weeping. Now, maybe not everybody, but a chunk of folks in that community. In fact, this is one of the ways that we bear witness to Jesus, is this sort of solidarity where people love each other so much that when somebody's weeping, we weep with them. When someone's rejoicing, we rejoice with them. Okay, but, but this Christian solidarity is not just within the family of faith, because remember, the lines have been blurred. Christian solidarity blurs these lines, and so we are called, Paul says, to extend hospitality. Now, you need to, you need to hear the sort of energy of this, of this sentence, this is not like, this is not a, oh, I happen to, to hear about this thing happening in my neighborhood, and so I responded to it. I happened to, to be scrolling through my social media feed, and I saw this thing happening in, in this community, and so I, I, I reached out. Extend hospitality is active. It's a leaning forward. It's pursuing hospitality. It is seeking to show hospitality. Are you getting the feel of this? It's not passive. It's it's active. Now, I think I know our church pretty pretty well. And my hunch is that this idea of actively blurring the lines and showing hospitality across these lines is actually very appealing to most people in our church. Amen? Okay, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. (laughs) But I think, I think for most folks in New Community, this idea of crossing lines of division and cultural separation to show hospitality, that's actually very motivating. We're like, yeah, that's how the church should be. So I just want to caution us for a, a moment and, and remind us that Paul was writing to a people who were vulnerable. Uh, he was writing to a people for whom persecution was, was not theoretical. He was, he was writing to a, 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 a minority group of people who, who really stood out within the larger Greco-Roman society that they were a part of. So when they hear the, the imperative to blur these lines, to actively seek and pursue hospitality outside the family of faith, they hear something that's going to make them vulnerable. They hear something that is risky. And, and, and I think if we're 
listening to what this is actually telling us, we, we maybe should feel that way as well. That this is something that actually calls us to live our lives differently. This kind of extending hospitality goes beyond posting about AAPI hate on social media or hanging a Black Lives Matter sign in your front window. That's not what this is. Let let me ask those of us in our church who are not Asian or Asian American, what did you do last year? We're coming up to almost the year mark. After six Asian women were killed in Atlanta, what did you do? Did you take the time to learn why Asian Americans in this country are so often perceived as perpetual foreigners, no matter how far back their family lineage goes in this country? Did you take the time to listen and learn from the stories of Asian American women about the dehumanizing tropes that they often have to navigate in our society? What was your response? And how faithful were you to that response once the news headlines died away? What was your response when you heard that a 15-year-old boy who Valerie prayed about this morning was killed on his way home from school this week, just two miles from where we're sitting right now? When you heard that a 16-year-old had been killed that same afternoon in Woodlawn, did you hear? Did you feel their deaths as one of our own? One of our own children? Did you grieve with their mothers, their fathers, and their friends, their siblings? This is the kind of solidarity that we are called to. Evil in this world always intends to divide and conquer. The enemy's lies have us believing that we have a limited amount of love to give. That our expressions of love must be hoarded for those who are most like us. And it's a lie. There is no limit on the love we have to give in Jesus When we join in loving solidarity with neighbors and strangers, we join God in overcoming evil. How do I know? Let me take a minute, please, and remind us about the most defining moment of loving solidarity this world has ever known. Friends, when Jesus gave himself over to the mob gathered in darkness in that garden, He gave himself out of love. And yes, it's true, some of those who would benefit from this supreme act of love could be considered insiders, followers, friends, family. But even Peter denied him. Thomas doubted him. Judas betrayed him. And everybody else abandoned him. The author of Hebrews tells us that it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. But can we remember that this cross-enduring joy was not motivated by friends and allies, not by collaborators and partners, 
No, this joy manifested in Jesus out of a love for turncoats and rebels, for enemies and adversaries, for sinners and for more sinners. It was joy-saturated, agape love that motivated Jesus to love selfish and petty people. Somebody say amen. To love tired and at the end of their last nerve people. Somebody say amen. To love anxious and overwhelmed people. To love the faithless and the fickle, the discouraged and the distracted, the sarcastic and the cynical. It was joyful love for you that moved Jesus along Calvary's long road to that blood-soaked hill. When Jesus uttered those fateful words hanging from that tree, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was claiming a saving solidarity with desperate thieves, spineless officials, corrupt clergy, bloodthirsty revolutionaries, and every one of their offspring for years to come. We can testify that this was a solidarity which redrew the boundaries of who evil could claim. No longer would anyone be irredeemable. No longer would anyone only be an enemy. Friends, no longer would our sin consign us to enemy status with the God who made us. We know that this boundary-blurring solidarity pushes back evil because we have been saved. We have been healed we have been reconciled. We, we know this to be true because death can bring no claim on your life. The devil has no authority over your life, and sin leaves no residue in your life. How do we know that the agape-fueled solidarity pushes back evil? Because Jesus Christ has chosen solidarity with you. Please tell me that's a little bit of good news. Every time we come to this table to receive the body and the blood of our Savior, we are reminded of how the universe has forever been changed because God chose us. Thanks be to God that the solidarity which overcomes evil has blurred all boundaries. On the cross, Jesus met evil with love and so defeated every single thing which keeps you from the love of God. And so now, sisters and brothers, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we who know loving solidarity with God are, are sent to show that same evil overcoming solidarity to the world. Start with the person right next to you or the person across the room. Start with the person in the chat box online. Reach out to someone this week who you don't know all that well in our church and invite them to simply share a little bit of time with you. But don't end there. Let the boundaries between insiders and outsiders in your own heart and mind begin to blur. Is there a community, a people, a group who you have kept at arm's length? Confession, 
last year, I realized how little I understood about the experience of some of my pastor peers serving in rural communities in this country. I had to confront my own stereotypes and assumptions, and God has been gracious to me to provide me some new friends who have welcomed me into their experiences. And did you know what? Those very small steps towards solidarity have changed me. Now, when I hear the struggles in the news happening in farming communities, I think about specific people. When I complain about a little bit of rain in the summertime, I, I think a little bit different about the weather. When I read news reports about the epidemic of opioids in rural communities, I picture my friends who are serving in those towns. I am finding myself, in Dr. King's words, bound up in an ever-expanding network of mutuality. So what about you? Where is Jesus inviting you to join him in overcoming evil, in all of its manifestations, with loving solidarity. Sisters and brothers, as you come to the table in just a few minutes, come remembering the miracle that is your friendship with God. Oh, don't take it for granted this morning. Remember that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Would you allow God's agape love to flow through you this week, to identify evil clearly, to surrender with your heart to the love of God, and to blur this world's boundaries? Lord Jesus, we ask for your help. We know what you've called us to. We have experienced in our own lives, the transformation of the solidarity you have shown with us, that we are now your friends, your sisters, your brothers, your sons, and your daughters. And yet, we have to admit and confess that that we live in a world that has not given us a lot of examples of this way of loving. That, that we have been told in different ways to hoard our love, to avenge ourselves. We, we have been told in, in different ways that the tools offered us by evil are our only and best option. And so as we come to the table, we ask, yes, that you would forgive us for how we have succumbed to these sinful and dehumanizing assumptions. And also we ask, through your Spirit, that you would give us a faith-filled imagination of a different way to live. Increase our faith. Bring to mind those particular places where we find ourselves struggling to love in the way you have loved us. Would you give us the spiritual resources necessary, the the, the Spirit-filled imagination to lead the way? where we can choose the loving way of solidarity. We pray particularly for those uh, among us today who have found themselves time and time again 
on the receiving end of evil motives, of evil systems, of evil words and actions. In your mercy, Lord Jesus Christ, would you show our sisters and brothers your love in a powerful way at your table today. Would you fill them up again with yourself, speaking the truth of who they are in you so that every lie falls away. Be their protector, the strong lifter of their head, a shield and a fortress around them. And now would you prepare our hearts for this meal again, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.